Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'll start. My name is Rod. And I like to party. Do you mean whiskey? What? You're saying it weird. Saying what weird? All of it. Where do you get off? Now part of the podcast, right? You putting the mic off. Give me some more minutes. Hey there, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. I'm Robert Frazier. Tim Galley. And this is the place where if you want to reach the people no one else is reaching, you got to go where no one else is going and do what no one else is doing. We have a special episode today. Very special. Very special. And it's not because the Red Sox are climbing their way up the AL East. I knew you were going to mention this, yes. I mean, that's that's just half. It's, it's the reality. I can't, can't deny reality, Tim. Um, but I'm actually here in Boston. We are here together. We are in the same room. To be, to be fair, we are in Lexington which is the birthplace. The very first shots of the Revolutionary War happened in Lexington, not Concord. We need to be clear about that. Yeah, We're in Lexington. around the world. And it was last week, the um, Patriots Day, as was immortalized in Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> terrific film. It was made way too soon after the Marathon bombings. Yeah, it was painful. It was like, it was like the week after the Marathon bombings. I got Mark, an idea. Mark Wahlberg is down there scouting, <laughs> scouting <laughs> locations right now. It's like, are you kidding? We're losing time, guys. Yeah, and I, I felt like we, we were here when it happened, and that was obviously like, a, oh my gosh, way too soon. So I'm, I'm here in Massachusetts, and we're sitting in Tim's beautiful office in Grace Chapel headquarters here in Lexington, Massachusetts. Tim, it's been great to be together, man. We got like two or three times this week we got to spend some time together, and. I gotta say, I mean, we, we do the meetup thing very well. I mean, we, we drop everything, our families get together, we, we figure out how to say hi and catch up. Um, I, I've loved it. We should just try to figure out how to do this more often. I, I certainly agree. Now, I think Boise and Boston are too far apart, I think is the real problem. So I think we do some sort of a move. We move one of the cities closer. Yeah, yeah. Boise's less established, so that makes sense. We'll, we'll move east. We'll it's not that far. Like, what? It's like on the other side of Ohio? <laughs> yeah, it's it's only, let's see, I think, like, it, when I drove it, it was like 2,700 miles. So, like, it's oh, that is basi- far. basically, you know, <laughs> down the road. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the joke here is that I, I still don't really know where Iowa is. <laughs> Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
when we were moving back from Boston to Boise, we were sitting, my wife had a going away party at her medical clinic and the, these are some of the smartest people I've ever met. These are PhD who are also medical doctors, right. like academic medical doctors. Uh, one of the doctors, he's, he's like 80, probably the smartest man you've ever met. And he goes, Malia, I got to be honest. I have no idea where Boise is. <laughs> and so Malia gets up on this whiteboard in the room where we're having this party, draws out a map and goes, okay, here's where Portland is in Oregon. Here's where Seattle is in Washington. And here's where Boise is in Idaho. The whole room, 25 people go, Oh, <laughs> they're taking pictures. Yeah, they're their phones. Like, getting a geography lesson. Because if you're on this side of 95, like literally, like on the inside of 95, yeah. the east side, people are like, like it's it's you've got the east coast, you've got the Midwest, basically 95 to you know Chicago or freeway, like the 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 Interstate Five in California. That's the Midwest. Oh, the, 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 the whole thing. <laughs> and then you the have the, and then you have the West Coast. It's like you have these slivers on the coast, and then the rest is just the Midwest. There's there's nothing else. And you know, you're one of those East Coast elites who think they're better than everybody else. I know. I, I try to resist that that caricature, but but it is very confusing when when you've just been in the Northeast and like there's like, you know, 45 other states. Like you know, you know where California is, you know where Texas is, you know where Florida is, and that's about it. Yeah, it's it's the ones that are contested in the presidential <laughs> elections when they're purple. Those are the ones you paid. Pennsylvania, you know where Pennsylvania is. You live there. That's right. That's right. In, in my defense, you know, I think I've met more people from Narnia than from Boise, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I said it wrong. That's not an accident, though. This time on accident. <laughs> I mean, there's Peter, there's Lucy. <laughs> you, know. you have four people from Narnia, one from Idaho. That's it. That's it. That's in fair. Defense. There's, there's literally less people in Idaho than there are within like 10 miles of here. So it's, you know, that's fair. Well, I guess I'm, I'm just happy that you're here in, yeah, in, in, the, in the flesh. Um, so, so we're doing a, a special podcast episode here to commemorate this. Mostly just because we're here. Because we're, we're here. Person. And uh, Malia's like, wait, what are you doing? And I was like, I'll be back in an hour, I promise. <laughs> so so. I, I do want to ask if, you know, this is a special episode and you're, you're back in person. Yeah. Um, how has it been, you know, visiting kind of like the old stomping grounds? You haven't been here in six years. Um, you've, you've maintained a wonderful relationship with this church. Um, I've, and, and not just me as a friend and co former colleague, but like, you know, just a moment ago we had, you know, a few people knock on our door and like, oh, you're here and, and all that. So you've maintained all these wonderful relationships. I'm, I'm interested in your observations um, of the place, of the people, and just whatever is kind of going through your mind as you've been here these past uh, few days. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot going on because we haven't been back. We had we had like two more kids and then COVID hit. and We've just been coming back has been hard. So being here. I wanted to come back four years ago. I wanted to be back because yeah. we just we were here six years and have lots and lots of friendships. We helped plant two of the campuses here at Grace Chapel, um, and so we've got deep, deep friendships both on staff, but also just like people across the city. My my kids have met a hundred new friends this week as we've been just tooling them around to like we we meet up at random parks with a group of friends, and then my kids are like. I have these new best friends that live 2,700 miles away. Um, so it's been great. I What I didn't, unexpected pieces, I feel very at home here. 
Like mm. it feels like a second home more than it feels like a, a place to visit. And I, I feel wistful a lot as I'm, as I'm driving around because it's, it's filled with a just dear, dear people and relationships and a, a season in my life that was very important for who I became. And, yeah. you know, so I, that's been wonderful and hard to feel, feel so far away. Somebody asked me the other day if I'd come back and I, I told them, you know, I like when my kids are out of the house, I think I would do a stint back here. Like mm. it'd be, it'd be easy to, you know, share, share our lives again with the people that we love here in Boston. So, you know, another 15 years, <laughs> there's, there's a possibility we could, we could come back out. Yeah. It's, it's been really good. I think I like, it's easier to put things in context when you're removed from them. Yeah. And I think I love the place more now removed from it than when numbers in the middle of it. Like it gives me more perspective um, coming back. And, you know, you and I talk about Grace Chapel and we gossip about everything that's happening here. So I feel like I've been, <laughs> you know, deeply, deeply connected with the community here. Um, but at the same time, like we, we went to Grace Chapel Watertown, the campus that um, I founded as the campus pastor and, you know, saw... 50 or 60 people that we just love to death. These little old ladies that are the sweetest human beings yeah. and they just wanted to give us hugs and meet our kids and pinch yeah. your cheeks and do, you know, do yeah, that. Faithful. Um, and at the same time, like is this thriving little community of a few hundred people that really love Watertown and have, you know, like think missionally about it. And it feels like that's a win, man. So yeah, I, I'm really glad to be back and see friends. And, yeah. You know, that tiny campus, if, I, if we can brag about them for a second, um, that tiny campus hosted an Easter egg hunt that had, like, several thousand people show up to it. Like, that's a lot of, you know, it's like the plastic Easter eggs, of course, like with, like, a little piece of candy in the middle. But, like, yeah, that's yeah. a lot of people on that small block. Um, and, 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 you know, hopefully more and more people check out that, that, that campus and that community. Uh, but they're up to stuff, and we like that about them. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, what I want to talk about today, coming back from, so we were at Grace Chapel, God called us to plant, and then we worked through kind of the, okay, where are we going to go? What, what's that going to look like? And God clearly called us, like, as we were praying, it was like that Macedonian man kind of moment where every time Malia and I prayed, there was somebody from, in our, in our minds, a face of someone we loved in Boise who was far from Jesus. Yeah. We just couldn't get away from, like our passion for that place. And that was, in some ways that was hard because I thought that it may be a new adventure. You know, it, like I thought we'd go somewhere like, you know, I basically told God anywhere but the South, I'm willing to play in. That's fair. Yeah. You know, for good reasons, mostly just <laughs> the weather. <laughs> not the, it's not the politics. It's not the people. Uh. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> I mean, these are prayers. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, I was thinking, you know, let's go plant something cool in California or, you know, Austin, Texas or you know, sure. Denver or some, some cool place. And then God said, no, your, your next assignment is Boise, Idaho. And that was in some ways like liberating to kind of go, okay, we're going to go back. But we had to, coming from, you know, for those of you who don't know, Grace Chapel in the Northeast is one of the largest churches. It's you know, somewhere around three, 4,000 people across six locations, including their digital campus. Are those numbers right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so so it's it's a large church. It's got, I think Mark told me, like 70 staff part and full-time. So it's yeah. got a lot of resource. 
and it's 70 years old now, something yep. like that. It's so it's, it's got history. And when you do something at Grace Chapel, you do it a certain way, like because it's this you, you have a bunch of people you need to loop in, you have a bunch of people who are going to help with it. You've got 18 meetings you got to have to move anything forward. That's right. That's right. If you're lucky, <laughs> if, it's, if you're lucky, it's only 18. Um, and, and as I was preparing to plant, I had to think radically differently, partly because the type of plant that we felt called to was something that was much more like punk rock, something that was really accessible, simple, um, and primarily missional. We wanted, yeah. we wanted to think about planting missionaries. And so our very first kind of like vision is, is what we've become in, in, in terms of like the, the picture we had was this hub that was a training hub that had these what we called missional communities at the time who were people living on mission in neighborhoods and in areas around the city who were focused on bringing Jesus and the kingdom into new spaces. And that, like in some ways, is very similar to what Grace Chapel is. Like that's Grace Chapel's vision is to send, is to see the people go out and do what God's called them to. Um, but when you're a large church, like there's there's a lot of work that goes into putting on Sunday and like you know absolutely. Um, so I I think that was the primary thing as we were looking at what was different as we were getting ready to plant, thinking about how do we go from big to small, and how do we go from like complex to simple. And, but keep the DNA because we when we when I walked away from Grace Chapel, my, my thought wasn't I need to reject everything about Grace Chapel and do something different. It was I'm going to take the essence of what Grace Chapel is, which is this, you know, a place that's had lots and lots of impact. Lots and lots of people have come to Christ and been sent on mission around the world and around the city. And I wanted to take the impact that it was and say, how could we contextualize that in right. place? No, I appreciate so much of that. Um... And, and and I as I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, like I, I appreciate just you know the way that that you were able to make this transition and the time that you took in, in praying about it and preparing yourself and preparing your family, and preparing your plan, preparing what was going to be you know carried on by someone else here. Um, you know I, I feel like I'm remembering that again as as we're talking here. You know one of the things that they talk about you know one of the metaphors that Pastor Brian uses. Uh, about Grace Chapel and because and, a lot of people come through here and a lot of people leave, um, you know, some out of frustration, but, but like but many out of calling, like mm-hmm. they, they discovered what they were supposed to do next. And so, so Brian likes to say like, you know, in some ways that the metaphor of like a teaching hospital, you know, applies here and, you know, Boston isn't for everybody. Um, it's the weather, it's the cost of living, it's, you know the the Red Sox and like you know like the obsession. No, no that was the obsession with Tom that was the Brady. only draw here. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I, I might see a Patriot at church on Sunday. That was the draw. <laughs> yeah, well, that was that was kind of cool too. And Brad Stevens went to Grace Chapel sometimes. You know, like you can't get past that. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, nevertheless, nevertheless, you know, some people would would, would like yourself uh, would figure out that God had something different for them. And so as you were determining that, and as you were just saying now that you, you wanted to take some of this and apply it in your in your next role as a, as a as a church planter in Boise, help me also understand like what, what are the things that w- were impossible to take with you? What are the things that were just never going to work? But you had to learn that. You didn't you didn't know that as you were driving out. You you, you learned it as you were doing it. Yeah, I'll give you one 
one clear example that just kind of hit me the last couple weeks that I don't think I realized when you when you plant as a solo planter we built a good team around us and I had people preaching alongside of me from day yeah. one but it's been the pulpit's mine and I'm responsible for everything that passes through it where here at Grace Chapel you were you led the sermon team and we had I think there was eight of us at the time who are a part of the teaching, yeah. the quote unquote teaching team. And yeah. then we had a, a creative team of 10 or 12 people who worked on like sermon series projects to like yeah. do video and all that. All of a sudden, all that was me like that. I had to be the one who created the sermon series. I had to be the one who made any visuals for it. I had to be the one who then, you know, organized who was going to preach what and how yeah. it was going to feel. And a couple weeks ago, I, I realized that I have enough people around me. We have five part-time staff now. And all of a sudden, like that's, and three or four of them can teach alongside of me. And I've got a few elders who are capable teachers. And I realized I'm at a spot finally where I could have some help on the creative parts of like forming, forming how we're going to train our community next, not on my own, not just out of the vacuum of my mind and what I feel like doing. Yeah. Because when you, when you preach all the time and when you preach like your your pulpit that you're responsible for, there's a selection bias to that that's about you. It's about what you want to do and and what you think the community needs. And you, you get a little myopic, honestly. Absolutely. And I, I feel that in my own teaching where I, I focus on stuff I care about and I like there's a there's a very narrow group of things and they, they tend to be around the nature of the church and our calling and training and mission. And a few felt needs and how those then pertain to mission because I'm apostolic. Like I'm always thinking about how do we take the next hill? How do we raise up people to go? And I'm not, I'm not that pastoral type who's asking, well, who's hurting in our community <laughs> and how, and how am I preaching to their like right. emotional and felt right. needs? <clears throat> so I, I think that's a piece that I'm, I'm missing and I couldn't bring with me. Yeah. I couldn't have 10 people in a room helping me make a video for you know a, a creative piece at christmas or easter yeah now we do some of that stuff like at a smaller scale but you know for us it, it meant we had to scale back and what i've seen with a few church planners we, we've worked with a lot of church planners we've seen 60 some churches planted in our city uh, there's a few guys who come in and have that same level of expectation for excellence around production mm. and and around even sermon prep and how like you preached this sunday it was a great sermon yeah, revelation yeah, five and uh, I learned that I don't have to sing forever in heaven, which was a, a relief, <laughs> a great relief. My throat would never make it. <laughs> um, but you, you preached this last week. How many hours were you able to sink into that sermon? Like between the meetings and your own prep? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I'm still in that 15, 17 hour range. Um, and, and I would tell you, I, I wish I had hit 20 in, in prep. Um, I do the Pomodoro method, and so I just kind of check off the number of Pomodoros, and so like I'll um, I'll create like a block of like you know 20, um, and, I'll, and I'll just keep checking them off until until I get there, and and I never really stop exactly at the the minute when you know you just keep going with with the flow. Yeah. But it, it, I added up. I think it was like 15, 16, 17 hours, give or take. And yeah. I needed a few more. Mm -hmm. Um, and also somewhat complicated these days on the other side of of, of uh, COVID is that we record our digital service on Thursday mornings. So you don't get a few hours Thursday, Friday and Saturday to, yeah. to have the finished one. Yeah. Yeah. But it also feels good then to have like something good presentable yeah, and then yeah. you keep working on it. Yeah. So I just always feel like, like that's just a different type of preaching than I ever thought that I was going to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, I, 
um, I feel more confident and comfortable in front of people versus in front of a camera. That's something that you know many of us have had to learn how to do. But some people are just completely natural at it, and you know they just yeah. it's the same message on Thursday as it is on Sunday, and that's that's an amazing skill that they have. And you want that that cohesiveness, where even between the second first and second service, you might change a few things. Absolutely, you know, like because it didn't a joke falls flat, you know, like timing's bad, whatever those things are. Yeah. But let's say you you can spend when I was here because I was preaching every four to six weeks in person when I was on staff here, I could spend 20, 25 hours over the course of several weeks kind of thinking and preparing. And as soon as you're church planting, those numbers don't work. You get more time, right? Yeah. It's like, you, well, actually, so a lot of guys, the first year when they're like pre, pre-planting, they just sit around dreaming about all these things they're going to preach about because they don't have any people. To yeah. Preach. You just save 18 hours of meetings. Yeah. <laughs> you, and, and you don't have anybody to meet with you because nobody's there, you know? So it's, you've got all this imagination. And then as soon as you plant, as soon as that first Sunday happens, the launch happens, Sunday's coming. Every seven days, Sunday's coming. Yep. And for most church planters, if they're spending 15 to 20 hours and they're fully funded as a church planter, honestly, I got to say that's a terrible use of your time. Because what most of your time needs to go towards is connecting with people. Yeah. Is to is is building up a team of people who um, are trained and equipped to do ministry alongside of you, to reaching lost people through community connections. And what happens is a lot of church planners spend way too much time preparing, but they can't. Yeah. Right. And then they feel all of this anxiety about when I was at this mega church, a lot of, and a lot of them come from larger churches where they were on staff and then they step out into planting and they feel like I don't have any time to do sermon prep. And you really have to scale back your expectations. I can do a great sermon in 25 hours. Yeah. I can, I can hit my marks and I can make sure I've cut the right things and yep. I can make it the right timing and the jokes are better. Like everything's better at 25 hours right. because you got that time. But what, as soon as you're church planning, it's like, okay, I've got to pull back and be somewhere closer to five to seven hours. And now I'm at like four hours of prep. But for us, because we are a training network, like it's a, we have a different kind of ecclesiology as a micro church network. Um, I think in terms of preparing a lecture that's for like transformation rather than a speech that is for like, what what preaching has done which is a lot of things yeah and when you preach it's i'm asking you to teach me something i'm asking you to help me feel something i'm asking you to take me to the point of transformation i'm asking you to take me to like some sort of call to action where when i'm training i'm actually like it's it's simpler in some ways where i'm i'm showing you jesus i'm asking you where it's different and i'm challenging you it's it's much in some ways it's just not as it's not as good and that's I and there's a question mark of who you're preaching to because I'm I'm preaching people that I'm training as missionaries rather than the lost who are coming to hear the gospel, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I, and and this is why I, I love the different types of churches, the different types of you know personalities, you know, why we love Apest, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, we all have a role in the kingdom. You know, we all have a place here. Um, I love that you're doing that. We, we talked about that, you know, a bunch of times offline. Um, I am curious, like, as, because, like, most most church planters I know, they see themselves as a preacher. And when you were here, you know, you, you were also just a very excellent and effective preacher. Um, Back in the day when I could preach. <laughs> when you had the 25 hours to give to um, <laughs> like I've heard you talk about this, you know, a time or two before. There's people who are going to be listening to this podcast, like as as they are considering 
whether or not they should step out of their current role in church plants. And preaching is a gift that they have and a passion that they have. I appreciate what you're saying just a moment ago on the logistics and some of the strategic aspects, but is, is there another aspect that they should consider as they're prayerfully thinking about this next season of potentially church planting? Yeah, let's say you were, um, like, think about the APES gift mix, what we call the, the fist, the fivefold, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And those are the those are the particular kind of gifts and roles God gives to the church in preparation for the 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 saints for ministry that they're called to. Yeah. If you, you know, you all know the Ephesians 4 passage. Um, I am an apostle evangelist. And so the way that God has uniquely, those are the, the two leading gifts that are going to be a part of how I lead, which is I'm going to take the next hill, that apostle. Mm -hmm. I'm a missionary. I'm sent out to go ask who's not being reached yet. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also an evangelist where I'm asking who's, who's far from Jesus right now and how can we connect with them? Yep. So those are the two areas where I'm, I'm always thinking about, but there are the guardians, which is the the pastor teacher, those who come along behind and beside the apostle prophet evangelist, who then help consolidate and care for the sheep that God gathers around the apostle evangelist. And I think w most of the time we think in terms of a uh, a solo church planner who has to be that five tool all star who can do all five by themselves and be everything to everybody. Right. But in reality, no one is that. And Jesus is. And I think that as we grow as followers of Jesus, all five gifts, what uh, Alan Hirsch says is that um, the, the more you're in tune with the Spirit, the more you look like Jesus. And Jesus was the ultimate apostle, the mm. ultimate prophet, the ultimate evangelist, the ultimate shepherd, and the ultimate teacher. So I think that, that we grow over time. And the pastoral gift has been growing in me. The teacher gift has been growing in me. My care for the the organizations and the people that I lead is growing in me. Even the prophetic is growing in me mm. as I as I pursue Jesus. So I, I don't want to discount that, but most of us, when we're 29 or 33, whenever we're planting, we're, we've got a couple of tools we've built, yeah. a couple of gifts that God's put in us. And so if you're on the teacher pastor side, I think primarily you need to learn to grow your the two other gifts if you want to plant. You have to figure out how to be an apostle. Mm how to live sent as a missionary, you're going to need training. For me, I knew I wasn't good at making disciples. I wasn't good at like sharing my life and inviting people in. And so I knew I needed to train on that. Yeah, it was a big growth area for you. It was a huge growth area. And I, I feel like over five years of purposeful, putting myself underneath someone else who knew how to do it, mm -hmm. I'm becoming good at it because that's what I, I want to be good at the thing Jesus told us to do, which is go and make disciples. Um, so that's, I knew I had to do that. So if you don't have the apostolic gifts, First of all, you need to be with somebody who's going to help shape your strategic thought around it. Yeah. Because if you if you don't think strategically, you need to not trust your instincts. If if when you put on an event, nobody shows up, you need to not trust your instincts. Like yeah. It's like the world is telling you what you're providing to them is not connecting with them evangelistically. And so you need to find somebody who's a natural connector and people gather around them and you need to go, hey, would you be a part of this mission God's called me to? You gather the people, I'll teach them the way of Jesus, and together we'll lead this thing. And so think in terms of teams and partnerships, not even necessarily like full-time church planner partnerships, but when when you're gathering your leadership team, look around and say, well, who's got 100 friends? Mm. Who's got 100 friends that they love and care about? And, and we'll get to a gathering or an event that we're going to do and have them lead up that charge. Um, so, so I think that there is that piece. If you, if you feel like... I'm doing this to get to preach. Actually, there's there's a few church planners I'm working with right now who they're doing it so that they can have a people to preach to. 
they're coming out of some other situations where they enjoyed preaching and they really enjoy studying the Word of God. But I think that you have to think of that as a treat. Mm. Like like the preaching to the people is a is a gift that you get to do from God because it's like such a powerful thing. It's it is work and it it costs us emotionally and relationally and and all those things, but it really comes down to people are giving you the gift of their attention. And it's not about you as the preacher getting to do your gift. It's about what they need yeah. in that season. So if people aren't connecting with God, they need an apostle and evangelist. And you've got to, you have to fulfill those roles for them. If they are connecting with God, they're joining in a community and they're saying, teach me the word of God. Then it's like, okay, game on. Let's dive in. Let's do the thing I'm good at. But you can't, you can't expect the church to be what you want them to be so that you get to use your gifts. Right, right. Which is a lot of times we find people, I'm good at this one thing and nobody, nobody actually can use it. It's like, that's fine. That's good. That's the thing you're good at. But we need to either find a place where they need that or you have to help us get to the place where they do need that. Yeah, I imagine that's why certain church planters flourish and why, you know, others aren't able to continue in the way that they thought they were, that they had imagined uh, that they were going to be serving. Um, you know, th- these types of conversations are things I, I really want to keep picking your brain on. Um, and I know we're running out of time here. Uh, but I do want to just kind of just have one more thought and hopefully it'll create a bridge to our next set of podcasts. Um, the topic of burnout, like pastoral burnout, yeah, has always been important to me and, and now just even more so. And, you know, there's all this research out there. There's all these books out there. There's all these podcasts out there. So um, everybody knows that, that burnout is an issue. And amongst my concerns, amongst, amongst the many concerns, is that somebody in a, on a currently serving in a church staff is feeling burnt out and is is sensing like okay maybe I'm called to church plants and like this is the way out of the burnout and what I remember about you um, was that it didn't seem like you were burnt out at all you I think you were you were feeling different things but could you help maybe bring clarity to when not to plant and what you were feeling when you actually did decide to plant. Yeah, I, I wanted I want to talk some more about burnout because I think that burnout is different has a different cause than most people realize. And we'll talk more about that, but yeah. it really is it's about personal formation and identity rather than about work. And it's it's much more internal than it is the external forces of the world around us. So I I want to talk a lot about that cuz I think that's important. Yeah, like you said, I, w- I was not at a point of, of any sort of burnout. In some cases, I was, uh, I'd say, underutilized because I mm. I was in a place where I preached every four to six weeks. Um, you know, I'd preach from our main campus a handful of times a year. I'd preach locally every month or two. Um, and then most of my job was running uh, outreaches and events and doing a little bit of discipleship. And in a we had a couple hundred people that were connected with our campus and we poured into them. And I felt like 40 hours a week was way too much for mm. what I was doing. And partly because of the way that I do you know, work, I'm very efficient and I don't feel a lot of stress around it. So when we were planting, it was more like this, you know, we hit the open highway mm. and I was like, okay, let's, let's go hard. And what I realized three years in, um, we decided we needed to add a bedroom as we had our fourth kid. And so we decided to do an addition on our house. Over the summer, I was going to take a month off. I was going to do most of the addition and then try to finish it. And then the drywall guy screwed me, man. 
he he showed up one day and then didn't show up for three weeks and then like it took him like eight weeks to do like 40 pieces of drywall so i was i was i got to a point where i was six months into this remodel every every waking hour that i wasn't running my business or doing the church i was like at a point where i like i i had such bad carpal tunnel i couldn't hold the tool anymore. i remember that i mean it was just like this debilitating thing and my wife uh it, it had been six months she sent me a link to a John Mark Comer podcast about it, this is when he was preaching through Sabbath. She's like, listen to this. We need to talk, <laughs> you know? And I was like, Oh crap. So, you know, I was like, as, as every pastor, I'm like, when someone sends me a link to a preacher, I'm like, Oh God, what are, like, what are they trying to make me like change about myself? But I listened to it. And what I realized was, Sabbath was a gift that I wasn't receiving from yes. God and it was killing me to not take it. Yes. And so we got really serious four years ago about Sabbath. And um, what I'm seeing in in most church planters is that they work way, way, way too much. And it's primarily not in the right things. And that has a lot to do with their expectations of how things should be when they come from either a large church background or they're in a launch large network that says, when you plant, you need to plant with 200 people on opening day. And you'd be back at 200 by the end of the first year, and then you'd be at 400 by the end of year four, whatever, whatever those numbers, those metrics right, are. Right. And so they think, okay, I know how to do this. If I if I have excellence in my preaching, if I have excellence in my um, hospitality, if I have excellence in my parking team, if I have excellence in um, yeah, our organizations, yeah, it's like yeah. if if we just do great at everything, people will show up and they'll love it and they'll stay and they'll start tithing, and then we will be financially viable at year three or whatever they're their yeah. cutoff is for their funding. And what happens, what I've seen just this year, we, we had three church planners who walked away within five years because they were burnt out because they felt so much pressure to hit their numbers. And then I've got three other friends who are leaving ministry around like similar issues, but they're 10 years in and they hit a wall where they, they've been pushing and pushing and pushing for so long. And they've been trying hard to make ministry work out of their own power, their own strength. And then they have church conflict, which is inevitable. Right. And if you don't have margin, church conflict doesn't just feel like an inconvenience. It doesn't just feel like an annoyance. It feels like a threat to your existence. Mm. If you're exhausted already, if you're emotionally worn, and if you're working 70 hours a week, and then you need to set aside 10 hours to meet with individual people as they're going through, you know, like let's say one of your staff is going through a divorce. And all of a sudden you got two people who need lots of attention and you have a community where you have to decide how we're going to deal with this person and, and their role and their family and like do it in a way. If you're working 70 hours a week, there's no margin and right. it's going to kick your tail. And so I think that like they're so intimately connected, your expectations of how things are going to be as a church plant. And so a lot of ways church planters need to scale back. And when there's a disconnect between how they think of what their church is versus what their church actually is. Have you ever been to a church of 15 people that had like a, a video introduction that some guy had spent 20 hours on and then one of the best sermons you'd ever heard and then they, uh, you know, they, they have a text message drip campaign follow up and you're like, bro, there are 15 people in this room. <laughs> you could have just texted me yourself. I didn't need the drip campaign, you know, like, right, right. like there's this disconnect between the reality versus the aspiration of like what they could be or what they are. I think that exhausts people. Like when somebody steps into a room and they feel like 
this was built for a much larger audience, it feels like failure. Rather oh, yeah. than if you're if you're in a room of fifteen people in a living room and people are down to earth and they're saying, We're gonna learn to follow Jesus together and see what happens, all of a sudden it takes all the pressure off of right. you and the people in the room to be what they are. Right, right. You also have churches where it's like a thousand people and the pastor gets up and his like shirt is untucked and there's like this disconnect between, you know, the other way, but it's much less likely because yeah. performance anxiety puts people in a place where they, they have to do it right. the right way. Sorry, that was a long ramble. You got you got a lot there. No, yeah. Well, I, I want to talk more about it. I mean, I, I grieve for you just described six people that are leaving the ministry, and you know, for for for, for various sets of reasons. And we are in a time where we need really great servants of God to help build the kingdom of God. And whether that's in church planting, whether that's in traditional churches, like we 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 need as many hands on deck, Absolutely. that the Holy Spirit can use uh, to fulfill His His mission. Um, so and I, and I find burnout to be one of one of the greatest obstacles right now um, in church in the church sector, but but also in other sectors of culture, and that that also hinders us uh, of like our lay teams of people, like mm-hmm. they don't have capacity to serve the kingdom in, in that sense because we're in a burnout culture. So I want to talk more about that um, in upcoming weeks, um, but I, I think we got a, a good start here. Yeah, it's so fun to do it in person. We should always do it like this. We should, like, four times a year, we'll just meet up somewhere, record all the episodes, <laughs> just be exhausted, and then go out for, you know, a whiskey or something. It sounds good. All right. It sounds good. So we'll, we'll work on a schedule to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, this is so good. Thank thank you for making some space for me on this beautiful Monday morning. It's actually, the sun is shining in, in Boston in the spring, which means either the apocalypse is here or it's going to snow next week. That's right. That's right. We're, we're going to finish well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's been great having you, brother. Yeah. Um, grace and peace to everybody out there listening. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being a part. Make sure you go to churchplanterpodcast.com and uh, check out previous episodes. There's almost 500 episodes now um, that Peyton and Pete have done, and then Tim and I are contributing to now. Uh, make sure to go to our sponsor pages, connect with New Breed Training Network. And if, you, if you're working on your church plant, one of the key ways you're going to meet new people is having a great digital presence. Mm. I want to challenge you to go to churchwebbuilder.io, churchwebbuilder.io, and take a look to see if it could be a place where you build the website that's going to connect with your neighborhood. Um, It's got a great interface. It's really inexpensive and a team that will partner with you to help you create what you need. So make sure to check out the sponsors. And uh, we love you, Church Planner. We think that God has called you and equipped you and is preparing you for incredible impact in your your community. But we hope that you're going to go where no one else is going Mm. and that you're going to reach the people no one else is reaching by doing what no one else is doing. So take the road less traveled. Go be what God's called you to. See you next week.